I'm Ashley Neese, a junior at Stanford University, and this is Infodemic, a Stanford conference on social media and COVID-19 misinformation. Infodemic was a virtual conference that took place on August 26, 2021, in which leaders in public health, medicine, ethics, and social media discussed ways to mitigate the COVID-19 misinformation slash disinformation epidemic. This single season podcast will feature all the infodemic sessions as single episodes. The following is one of the conference presentations entitled Leveraging Physician Influencers, the New Public Health Educators. The presenter was Dr. Vin Gupta at Vin Gupta MD, who is a physician influencer, a pulmonary critical care physician at the University of Washington and an MSNBC contributor. Please enjoy. Hello, everybody. It's great to be here. And I just really appreciate the privilege of being able to spend the next 15 or so minutes talking about a topic that means a lot to me and that I've become more and more immersed in, which is what does effective communication look like? And how how can we leverage all media, all different mediums in, in an effective way and to better amplify the right information? And to really pick up on some of the themes that were was discussed on just the prior panel here, I'm going to try to just talk about what best practices I've seen in my 20 or so months in various public platforms uh, since the beginning of this pandemic, trying to dive into what's worked, what's not, when we really think about cutting through the noise and trying to have as much impact as possible. And so number one, I, I would say that more than anything, whether it's using Twitter, Facebook, any other popular social media platform, more than anything, I found that using these platforms to tell stories through videos, through Twitter threads, for example, has been really effective. And what I've tended to do is is to share stories directly from the intensive care unit, where when I deploy as an officer in the Air Force, you know, we've deployed our, our team, our reserve team is, is consists of many ICU providers, respiratory therapists, nurses, and docs. So we've been scattered across the country during select times over the last 20 months. And what we'll do is we'll try to take moments from those experiences that are, of course, not violating HIPAA, but to prove a point or to help get a point across that's transmitted through visuals, through graphics, and not necessarily through words or opinions. In that way, what you're doing is, in my view, you're making it less about you and your specific opinion or the clickbaity nature of any tweet, which often some of the tweets that get a lot of attention are those where you're actually communicating an opinion. I think what cuts through some of the, the partisanship, some of the exhaustion with COVID is actually just sharing real life stories. And we're seeing a lot more of that now to great effect, especially with the rise of the Delta variant, with people feeling more and more vulnerable. You're seeing news media directly going in intensive care units to speak about the plight of the unvaccinated. And I think they're picking up on trends and on tactics that has worked powerfully well in other public health movements. And I, and I speak as a pulmonologist I've always been a, a sort of surprised that we haven't leaned in more heavily on tactics that we used really effectively during the anti-smoking campaign to help convince more people to get vaccinated. And so again, to emphasize what worked previously, it was graphic images, lungs ravaged by smoking, lungs that are otherwise healthy, that side-by-side comparison. Obviously, we did something similar when you think about the egg frying on a fryer on, on any stove as a surrogate for what happens when your brain is on drugs. I mean, those are powerful ways to communicate a simple message, again, less through written word or spoken word and just through a visualization. And I think we've underutilized that tactic up until now. 
Now it's gaining more steam, but that has been an effective way to utilize social media in my view. and something that I lean into as a physician, as a policymaker, and in some of my other non-clinical roles to help get the point across that if you're unvaccinated, regardless of whether you're 80 or 18, that you're at 25 times increased risk of ending up in the hospital and having lungs like those of my patients that I've cared for and pinned a tweet to that effect. I wish I could share my screen because I show you something that I really convinced me that the ways in which people consume information has fundamentally changed over the course of many years, but especially over the last 20 months. Is this tweet I like to show people where it's a comparison of the most viewed article in the New England Journal of Medicine about COVID-19 and a tweet I shared a few months ago is lungs with COVID, lungs without from a patient of mine that sadly died in August of 2020 with COVID. It's really just a high resolution photo, lungs with COVID, lungs without. It's viewed 5.5 million times when I share that, when I created this tweet, comparing that level of engagement with just a simple graphic to the level of engagement and views on the most viewed article on the New England Journal of Medicine to date on COVID-19, which got about 1.5 million views. It's nothing to say about my tweet. There's many people who tweet out there who get a lot of engagement, far more than 5.5 million views. But the point is that people consume information differently now. I don't need to tell anybody listening in on this panel that that's reality, but how we leverage that power and that opportunity can matter when it comes to increasing engagement. Because I think much of academia, sadly, does not still engage with social media in an effective way. It's not something that we get taught about. We don't get taught how to communicate to mass audiences in medical school or in public health school. Unless you go out and seek out communication classes, I got an MPA, so I sought out the, this type of training very intentionally many years ago. But what I've noticed is this is not a part of any curriculum. And there's many trainees I've been approached by over the course of the last several years saying, you know what, Doc, I, w- I want a career in health policy or health advocacy or that intersection of data, technology, and, and information, public health education. And you can imagine many different career paths that have some of these intersecting themes and focus areas. And it's only going to go more and more interesting and more and more diverse in, in the years and decades ahead. And yet we do not have a training pipeline to share best practices because we're developing those best practices in real time. But number one, storytelling. Again, threads on Twitter, videos, graphics. What I tend to do is if I have something that really sticks, like that tweet of lungs with and without COVID, I'll amplify it whenever I'm in my analyst role for NBC News so that there's that dual amplification. What works if, or if I do a great segment that I feel really has traction or resonance on TV, which can reach many eyeballs to share that segment then on social media to try to basically exert the impact or to leverage the impact of multiple forms of media to their greatest extent. And I think we can continue to do more of that. I think about just the segment I did with Wes Ely, who's an icon in pulmonary critical care medicine out in Vanderbilt, about visitation policies and how devastating they are for families and for patients when it comes to getting better in the ICU and how we have restricted visitation policies that don't make sense in this era of very effective vaccines and great PPE, that we need patients' families at the bedside of their loved ones that are struggling because it can help with delirium, it can help with ultimately and outcomes like ventilator liberation and coming out of the ICU. Well, we gave voice to this issue through a segment that I worked on with my colleagues at the NBC Medical Unit. And I'm not sure how many people actually saw it, but then we shared it multiple times on Twitter and on Facebook, other mediums, and then it was viewed multiple more times. So amplification of just good content 
high quality content across multiple mediums makes it less about you and more about the content. I think has a chance at engaging people. I'll also say, I know I'm already coming up here in seven minutes left here, that actionable advice, not clickbait, is vital in gaining trust. At least that's what I've realized. That to be able to cross over and talk to people who may not necessarily agree with what they think your political view is maybe, not that I try to be overtly political whenever I'm in public, but staying away from clickbait stuff, moving more towards these are the things that you can do to keep your family and your loved ones safe. Like, for example, I think about getting the word out on monoclonal antibodies, addressing information asymmetries when it, on something that could potentially be life-saving. I'm not saying it's a cure-all. But the big issue with monoclonals, especially back in January during the, the worst peak of this virus for the U.S., was people didn't know how to access the darn thing. And so I think it falls on all of us that have platforms that people trust. To further build that trust, people will say, wow, they're trying to just give us information in a nonpartisan way that can help us because there are so many information asymmetries that exist out there. The process by which one can even access monoclonal antibody is, is actually kind of patently ridiculous if you think about it. They have to go to a website. They have to type in their address. They have to make many phone calls. They have to know that they've pre-vetted themselves for meeting several criteria. We have to break down those barriers. But I think when people see that we're trying to do that through actionable advice on social media or on other media mediums, that builds trust. That shows that our heart is in the right place. I'll also say that I, I, I've used social media platforms, other platforms, just for idea generation. For example, just in the last few days, one of the topics that's, that's become really top of mind for critical care providers and other policymakers is, well, do we really need to think about rationing care to interventions like ECMO or dialysis or even staffed ICU beds based on vaccination status? Because it turns out there's more than just COVID filling up ICUs and hard decisions need to get made. And do we start triaging based on vaccine status? That's something that We've been talking, I'm not saying that we were the first ones to talk about this, but this is something that I do believe utilizing social media platforms and other vehicles to idea generate can be really useful. Ways to expand monoclonal access, uh, access to monoclonal antibodies, different ways to brand market the purpose of vaccines. I think the thing that drives me crazy is that media outlets, frankly, members of the Biden administration continue to perseverate on the fact that the vaccines are not 100% effective at preventing infection versus even nine months out when I got the vaccine nine, nine months ago, healthcare workers like myself remain durably protected if you're otherwise healthy, less than 65 from hospitalization. We can't even get the simple message on the purpose of vaccination correct. So setting the record straight, why do you get vaccinated? It's not about preventing a positive test, it's about keeping you out of the hospital. And ways to concisely convey that through graphics, through storytelling. This idea generation paradigm, I, I think you're going to see that being built out, being more heavily invested in so we can develop best practices. I hope I can work with many of you that are zooming into this call. So maybe we can develop a community of individuals that can develop these best practices for the next generation. I'll also just say very quickly, what do you call out, engage with, and what do you not? I recently called out the governor of Texas for what I thought was his willingness to govern his own health and his own body and his own welfare in a very science-based approach. Triple vaccinated, got monoclonals, was asymptomatic, did a wonderful job caring for himself. What does he do for the people of Texas? Nothing even remotely approaching a science-based approach. Actively prohibiting things like mask mandates in schools. doesn't make any sense. It's hypocritical. What you do and what you do not call out, I think, is important because it's going to affect your reputation and credibility. If you're constantly doing it, you're going to be viewed as somebody that's just adding to noise. But if you do it tactically, I think it's important and can actually elevate you. Something that you're willing to call things out 
and you're not too cautious. I think often people in our profession, especially on the academic side, err on the side of being too cautious, end up saying nothing meaningful in public domains, end up qualifying everything. And the person on the other side of the screen has no idea what they just said. We have to show the courage of our convictions sometimes. Again, I've talked about providing actionable advice, not clickbait. And lastly, I'll say in just the 90 seconds I have left here, accountability for misinformation and governance structures in the social media space and TV writ large. I recognize the distinguished panel that preceded me was talking about that. Those governance structures need to be clearer. We need to hold physicians, I'll just talk about my own ilk, more accountable. If they're willingly putting out nonsense information to the public domain, I love what I've seen the Federation of States uh, State Licensee Boards do recently, saying that you are at risk of losing your medical license if you're trafficking in misinformation, whether it's in the social media space or otherwise. That's a great move there. We need deterrence. And lastly, I'll just say we need to invest in communication programs and other media literacy efforts for our younger professionals who are coming up the ranks, public health schools, medical schools, because this is going to be the great challenge of our times. How do we communicate to the public? The public is demanding better communication from all of us. What are best practices? How can we teach it? Because we can all be better. So with that, I will defer back to Rachel. And I just want to be mindful of my time here. Thank you so much. I hope folks will reach out and I'm looking forward to building community together. Thanks for listening to this session of Infodemic, a Stanford conference on social media and COVID-19 misinformation. We invite you to listen to the other important discussions and presentations that occurred at the conference, each available as individual episodes of this podcast. All 10 sessions are archived together. Just search Infodemic on the Academic Life in Emergency Medicine website, alium.com, or through summer 2022 on our website, stanfordinfodemic.org. A video recording of the entire conference is available on the Stanford Department of Emergency Medicine YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us.